History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person, born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world, who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 29th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of James Shack Daddy Orange. Also, my dad. Hi, dad. Happy birthday. Also, this is my 50th episode, so a lot of cool things going on today. So Shack Daddy is exactly why I do this podcast. When I went to school in the late 90s, my school's coverage on the civil rights movement was essentially, okay, there was slavery and that was bad, but then there was Martin Luther King and he solved racism. Okay, we're done. Now let's learn about JFK for three weeks. Martin Luther King was literally the only civil rights figure I learned about at my private Christian school. Not Malcolm X. He was too radical, not Bayard Rustin, we mustn't talk about the gays, and certainly not the civil rights pioneers behind the scenes, like Shaq Daddy. This man was one of the catalysts behind Selma to Montgomery March, but few people know about him. And that's kind of humorous, considering that Shaq Daddy is six foot three and he weighed 300 pounds, but he chose to help the movement in any way he could, serving primarily as MLK's assistant, as well as a pastor who promoted nonviolence in his congregation and community. Martin Luther King gave him the nickname Shaq Daddy when he explained that their job was to shack up with the community. Don't stay long, don't fall in love, don't live with it, just start the fire, fan the flames, get people moving and inspired, and then move on to the next place. So Shaq Daddy was born James Orange in Birmingham, Alabama in 1942. He was the fourth or the third, depending on what you read, of seven kids. His parents were Calvin and Ida Robinson Orange, and his dad worked in an iron mill. His mom was a super active civil rights activist, as were his older sisters. Shaq Daddy recalls his sisters being thrown in jail when they were teenagers for protesting. He moved to Alabama when he was 20, and he became involved in the civil rights movement after working briefly as a chef. In 1963, he began attending the marches with Dr. King, as well as accepting a position as the project coordinator for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or the SCLC, as we will call it on here. On February 18, 1965, he was arrested for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. What had he been doing? Running a voter registration drive for people of color. A week later, a group of African-American civil rights activists were leaving church to begin a peaceful march when they were mobbed and brutally beaten by a bunch of white idiots. State troopers responded to the melee and began to join in the beatings under the guise of breaking up the attack. 26-year-old Jimmy Lee Jackson, a pastor, was using his body to shield his mother and his grandfather from the beatings, and a state trooper named James Fowler shot and killed him. James denied the killing, said it was self-defense, and would continue to deny it for 40 years before finally confessing in 2005. In 2007, Fowler was sentenced to only six months in jail. At that time, rumors were abounding that Shaq Daddy was going to be lynched while he was being held in jail to send a warning to the black people of Alabama, but thankfully he wasn't. However, between his unjust arrest and the murder of Jimmy, Dr. King and his associates, including Shaq Daddy, got together and pondered taking the body of Jimmy to the state capital of Montgomery to leave on the doorstep of Governor George Wallace, who was still swearing up and down that there were no racial issues or racial violence in his state. That idea morphed into a march from Selma to Montgomery, which resulted in the Voters' Right Bill of 1965. Shaq Daddy would be arrested over a hundred more times while organizing voter drives and peaceful marches in the South. In the mid-60s, he was asked to move to Chicago to continue the work of the SCLC. His first task was to empower people of color who lived in slum housing and felt that they had no right to ask for better nor recourse to do so. 
So Shack Daddy organizes the first tenant council of a notoriously bad apartment building, and he ordered a rent strike. So instead of paying the landlord, the tenants gathered together their collective 10 grand in rent, they purchased supplies, and everyone fixed up the apartment building. The landlord was so taken aback by the changed behavior and attitude of the tenants that he donated the entire complex to MLK and the SCLC. This ended up sparking marches and protests around the city as more and more people began to demand safe and affordable housing. Next, Shaq Daddy tackled what would be one of his most lasting contributions to the Chicago community, the massive gang issues. At the time, black gangs like the Blackstone Rangers and the Vice Lords and the Cobras and the Roman Saints, they were all sparring with one another, as well as the myriad of white and Puerto Rico gangs. Shaq Daddy literally went into the community breaking up gang fights with his own body, and he was beaten very badly a dozen times, often having to go to the doctor to get his nose or his lips stitched up. But no matter how badly he was assaulted, or by how many guys, he never fought back. As he learned to work with the boys and they learned to trust him, he started to preach to them about how to leave the slum life, how to elevate themselves with education and religion. And he found that they were very receptive to music, and he often traveled with a white SCLC staffer named Eric Kimberg, who would bust out a guitar and they would sing songs of protest and freedom. So sensing his window of opportunity, Shaq Daddy put together a gang convention in town with MLK. He gathered shock callers from all the different gangs together and asked them to act as marshals at a march on Gage Park. The rivals agreed to work together and show up they did at Gage Park, but they showed up totally strapped with shotguns, prepared to lend their support the only way they knew how. Shaq Dad handled it very well, though, and he explained that if anyone was too scared to march without a gun, he didn't want them marching at all because he didn't want any scared people. This was a perfect challenge, and not wanting to seem chicken, they all dumped their weapons, filling five large boxes. Before they headed out, though, Shaq Daddy had one more stroke of genius, and he paired each gang member up with a rival gang member who would be their partner throughout all the protests and marches. He understood that if two people complete a long walk together, especially for a mutually beloved cause, at the end of the walk, they would either be friends or they would be able to at least tolerate each other for a period of time without resorting to violence. His tactics worked, and gang violence in Chicago plummeted for almost a decade as the members focused on civil rights activism. On April 4th, 1968, Shaq Daddy was in Memphis with MLK to help striking black sanitation workers. They stayed at the Lorraine Motel, King's usual resting spot when he was in town. That evening at 6.01 p.m., Shaq Daddy was standing beneath the balcony of MLK's room when a shot rang out. King would die an hour later on the operating table after unsuccessful open-heart surgery. His 39-year-old heart was aged to about 60 years, according to doctors, due to all the stress of his work. Shaq Daddy stayed with the SCLC until his late 70s, when he began to work with Cesar Chavez for the United Farm Workers. He would continue to be involved in immigrant and labor rights activism up until his death, even conducting business from his hospital bed. He died at age 65 in 2008 after gallbladder surgery in Atlanta. He was survived by his wife, Cleophis, and his three daughters, Deirdre, Jamita, and Tamara, and his son, Cleon. In the 2014 movie Selma, Shaq Daddy is portrayed beautifully by the incredible actor Omar Dorsey. My sources today were Wikipedia, Facing South, and the New York Times. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of James Shaq Daddy Orange. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of the creator of the first commercially available antibiotic, Dr. Gerhard Domek. <laughs>